January 2nd, 1976. should 
assume that a person of your wide perspective on the world wouldn't understand these things. <laughs> All right, George. Well, I just have to apologize to you there. I, I uh, didn't mean uh, I didn't mean to be uh, patronizing. When one walks in uh, to a deli and uh, buys a seven-pound hero sandwich, is he patronizing or is he just a patron? Uh, just a question. These are these are theological questions which from time to time pop up. Have no answers, of course. There's so many things in life don't have answers. I think uh, one of the it's like de Tocqueville, a uh, French writer some years back, who uh, when traveling throughout America, he's a man who wrote a great deal about America back in the days when American life was largely frontier. He made the following observations. He says, the Americans are unique among the peoples of the world. He said, they seem to have a lively, and they actually seem to believe it, belief in the perfectibility of man. It persists to this day. I mean, it's only the American who believes that if he gets those rascals out of the White House, the City Hall, etc., etc., if they got the rascals out, then everything would straighten out. They don't believe this in France. <laughs> they know better. They don't believe this in England. They don't believe this anywhere else in the world. It's only us. And so tonight we are once again going to devote our small little moment in time here, our, our uh, infinitesimal effort to communicate with our fellow man. We will devote our time to perfecting man himself. What better and more noble pursuit could one follow during the holiday season than to attempt to perfect man. How uh, much time have you spent the last week or two attempting to uh, perfect uh, the entire race of man as opposed to the gophers and the mud turtles? And they, they don't have that same idea, you know. There's not, never been on record so far uh, the record of a kangaroo who looked at all the other kangaroos and said, fellow kangaroos, we must raise ourselves by our bootstraps. We've been kangaroos long enough. No, they just keep hopping around. They just keep hopping around. Which is what most of us do, actually. I mean, let's face it, there aren't many of us who devote their lives to the betterment of the race. And uh, so we, as part of our vast public service programming, have decided during this Yuletide season... <laughs> I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a... What the heck is that? It's right on the tip of my tongue. Now, I know the lyrics. I'll try it again. If you once in a while, you know, you forget something, you just plunge right into it again. Maybe you'll get it. Let's try it again. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a... I don't know what's happening. I, have you have you had the feeling that almost everything is falling apart, including your mind? I mean, I knew that. I, in fact, our glee club. When I was in the glee club in the sophomore year in high school, that was the opening number that we always uh, thrilled the audience with. And since I sang in the bass section, uh, all I did during 
the entire performance, so the number was go zum, 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 zum. We also did a thing called There's a Little Brown Church in the Wild Wood. Oh, the do 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 And that would go zum, 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 zum. But uh, that's the curse of singing bass. One doesn't ever actually hear the melody or the words. One spends a lot of time going zum, zum, zum. But uh, that's also true if you play the sousaphone or the the bass fiddle, as you call it in your ignorant way. Bass viol, we preferred to call it. Some agreed with us and said it was viol. But nevertheless, uh, so we spent most of our time standing in the back of the orchestra while we were playing, say, for example, uh, the Leonora Overture. Or even more than that, the pathetic. Uh, you know the pathetic? Uh, anglicized the pathetic. And uh, many people accused us of doing exactly that to that piece of music. But nevertheless, as we played in the back, most of the time I would go zum, zum. That's all my sousaphone ever did. And so tonight, as part of our vast public service programming, I am really going to give you something. You know, several years ago... We did a public service that has not yet been forgotten by the various people who took part in that fantastically uh, successful experiment. Now, almost all of us feel embattled, right? That's, that's part and parcel with modern-day life. Of course, man in his early days felt embattled. Man has always felt as if something was about to get him. This is why he created religions. And then after he created religions, he felt that the religion was going to get him. Well, yeah, you know, the, uh, the concept of the avenging God is going to hurl a lightning bolt at you. I mean, you created the religion, actually, you know, the lightning bolt comes down. Which came first, Frankenstein or the egg? So, uh, <laughs> there's a metaphysical idea, right? Hi, <laughs> right, George. You know, the egg, of course, has a certain symbolic significance. I can't quite remember at this point what it is. But it does have a symbolic significance, right, class? Correct. That'll appear on the Blue Book exam later. So I hope you're taking uh, you know, a few notes, just a few. Just write down egg and make a little note next to it, important. So when I ask you at the end of the semester about this, you'll just write the egg's important. That's enough. A little to knowledge, while dangerous, uh, <laughs> adds a little to life. <laughs> you know, a little soup sound of Polynesian mustard to the Caesar salad of existence. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> so ends our salute tonight to Zachary. However, uh, if you'll pause just a moment now, what I want you to do, this is part of the technique. You know, you've, you've heard a lot of uh, public service announcements where they, you know, they want you to give blood or they want you to buy Girl Scout cookies or join the Marines. I've never felt that that's much of a public service, but nevertheless, they have them on the air all the time. And so tonight, as part of our public service program, we're going to bring you into the act and give you something that you can hold and cherish. How long has it been since you've really said something rotten to your neighbor? I mean, you know, we all secretly have the desire to, to you know, stand in the elevator and, and uh, Fluberman from the sales department, uh, you know, Stanley Fluberman gets into the elevator with you and he's smoking a big, fat 15-cent cigar. Just keep watching. I'll give you the cue. You don't have to worry about it. Just watch me. That's all. So <laughs> you always have this desire. You know, it's a secret desire. Uh, when you're standing in the elevator and big, fat Sandy Kluberman gets into the elevator from the sales department, you hate his guts, right? He's smoking a five-cent cigar and blowing the smoke in your face. What do you have the urge to do? You have the urge to look him right in the eye and say, you know, 
Cloverman, you are really stupid. You're a really stupid person. Why do I have to get in the elevator with you, huh? But you won't. You won't say that. You will not say that. You will, you, we're nice guys. That's the trouble with Americans. We, we pussy through, we pussyfoot through the world, hoping that the rest will love us. By the way, de Tocqueville made a comment on that, too. He says, the desire of the American to be loved by all visitors has to be experienced to be believed. <laughs> it changed, has it? And that was back a long time ago. That was back around the time before Mark Twain was doing anything. And uh, he's right. And so tonight, as part of our public service programming, we will hurl an invective at the world for you. You see, the best way to tell the world to go to hell is if you can get somebody else to do it for you, but you get the credit. And then when everything comes tumbling down, you can blame the other guy that did it. Right, that's a public service. So what I want you to do right now, uh, get set now, all right, get everything ready in there, I'll give you the cue, just a minute, hold it. Take your radio. If you really want to cause some excitement in your neighborhood, take your radio Put it out on the windowsill. See, aim the speaker out into the street. Now, everybody who's walking around out there, they think they know everything about the world, right? I mean, uh, you know, they know the neighborhood. They know everything that's going on there, see? And uh, a, a totally inexplicable sound suddenly entering the neighborhood and then de departing, never to return again, can be extremely troubling. You have hurled an invective at the world. <laughs> So put your radio up on the windowsill and turn the gain all the way up. All the way up. That's the volume. Turn the volume all the way up when I give you your cue. And then the instant that the invective has been hurled, it'll go whistling out in your neighborhood, grab the radio, stick it under the stick it under the day bed, and pretend that you're doing the New York Times crossword puzzle when the crowd arrives. Okay? All set. Now get your radio up on the Windowsill, now. Now, at the count of three, turn the gain all the way up. One. And stand back, because this is going to come on my gang, Dusters. Turn the gain all the way up at the count of three. One, two, three.
quick. Turn it off. You didn't do it. Right? You're safe. Like a true 20th century man. They can't blame you for nothing. If they finally do start hitting you with rubber hoses, making you confess, just say, came on the radio. I had nothing to do with it. Where did it come from? W-O-R, New York, your invective station. Okay, see? Whew, boy, that was exciting. Don't don't tell anybody that we did this, right? Now, uh, would you please, uh, if you will, if you will, please, uh, just just uh, just sneak it in there behind me there. That's all you got to do. Just sneak it in there. It's right there. Don't you recall? Remember I said uh, the one that you keep up all the time, right? Oh, oh all right. Aren't you guys? You, you forgot all my cues, so don't worry about it. <laughs> You got it up or not? What's the matter? There you go. There. See, just keep that on the on the machine all the time. See. <laughs> oh, I can't help it. Now wait a minute. Now hold it. Hold it, Eddie. Eddie, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Keep that there now. Keep that there now. Hold it there now. Now you see, uh, for those of you who wonder what that beautiful sound was, it was a very important sound, and I. I uh, I have a confession to make. It has a deep and symbolic meaning for my own life. Now, some you know, I, I'm always fascinated by guys like Mailer and uh, Philip Roth when they're interviewed. See, somebody says, uh, "Well, Mr. Mailer, how did you get such a cosmic view of mankind that has played such an important and uh, consistent role in your very serious, the best of all writers in America work?" And Mailer always says things like, uh, well, at a very early age, my mother took me to see Antigone. And uh, from that time on, I spent my... You know, it's, it's uh, some of the silliest reading I've ever read is uh, J.D. Salinger. And he always has his six-year-old kids uh, in, the, uh, in his stories, J.D. Salinger. They're always reading uh, stuff like haiku and uh, <laughs> Chinese poets. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit one very discouraging thing. Now, keep that up there now. Come on, you guys. Concentrate on me here, fellas. Don't don't look at him. Look at me, because we've got to do what this is going to happen here in a minute. Now, when I was a kid, I'm going to ask you a question here, very frankly. When you were... Can you remember... Now, I'm going to ask you to do something here. This is an experiment in communication. Now, we've all experienced one thing in our lives that is in common with all other men. And that is the phenomena and the experience of life itself. Now, you're alive, and uh, a lot of people tend to forget this from time to time, but you are alive, and that in itself is a fantastic plus. <laughs> no matter what happens, there's a lot of guys that ain't, friend. <laughs> at, 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 for, that reminds me of Casey Stengel, the late Casey Stengel's famous remark along the same lines. When uh, Stengel was asked, he was, he was being interviewed about something, and, and uh, just uh, apropos of nothing, typical Stengelese fashion, Stengel looked up and he said, Hey, you know, that most guys of my age are dead. <laughs> Which is a great line. Most guys of his age are dead already. So, uh... You know, the, the fact is that you're alive. You're walking around, right? Now, uh, uh, the, the, among other things that all of us have experienced is when we were small people. Now, I don't deal in nostalgia. Many of my listeners do. I don't. 
I think that nostalgia is a sad delusion. And I also think it's one of the great sicknesses of America. The past is not a delusion. Nostalgia is. Those are two different things. And, and uh, they have nothing in common with each other if the truth were out. Now, if you're, if you're hung on that sad Joel Siegel uh, kind of nostalgia, uh, that's a kind of a sad thing. Gee, wasn't it fun when we used to go and play stickball type nostalgia? But uh, there was other sides to that life. And what I want you to do now, at this moment, is to, since this is the holiday season, there's a lot of kids that are in a lot of families that are about to experience this thing. Do you remember when you were a kid having to go someplace on an official visit with your parents that you absolutely could not stand? That you really hated? I mean, you know... And, 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 and you, you really dragged your feet and your mind and your behind and everything else, and, and you had to get dressed up to go there, and you, you itched. It's a, you know that's a psychosomatic itch. You would itch all over, <laughs> or your nose would start running or anything else. Well, this problem is one of the reasons why many people grow up to hate holidays, because at no time in the year. Is this phenomenon more common than during the holidays? You know, when you got to go visit Aunt Glenn. You know what I'm talking about. It's a real drag. And, uh, <laughs> and when I was a kid, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, there was one dreaded announcement that would always come around the holiday time. And I really hated it. I, 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 I can't tell you how I hated it. I don't know why. It just... The whole, the whole thing about it just made me itch. And, and it was my, my, my mother, when, with, uh, every holiday season, we would have to go and visit an elderly aunt of hers. An elderly aunt. And uh, she had an elderly husband who was my mother's uncle. And we only saw him during this time, this, this time of the year. Like... Uh, my mother would say, well, we've got to go visit Aunt Teresa. Her aunt was named Aunt Teresa. Uh, the husband's name was Emil. <laughs> As a pair for you, Aunt Teresa and Uncle Emil. And uh, so, of course, it would always happen on a weekend, like uh, the weekend before Christmas. And uh, we'd get all set, and, oh, God, I used to hate it. And we'd have to get all dressed up. And these were very old people, and they lived in an old people house. You know what an old people house is like? And it has a certain old people house smell to it, which uh, smells, I don't know, it's got its, its own special smell. It was, a, it was an apartment, really, but it was an old people apartment, and they had doilies. And my mother would always say, now, don't mess, don't mess up anything at Aunt Teresa's house. You know, she's very careful about her house. Now, you'll, you'll do what she said. You'll sit on the edge of the chair and, and uh, be nice to her. Oh, God, be nice to her. And Aunt Teresa would always come down. She'd bend over, say, I'm about seven or something. She'd always bend over and say, mm, You have really grown. What a big boy you are getting to be. Give Aunt Teresa a kiss. And uh, she had this curious aroma around it. It, was, it smells like the old people's house. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you, you, <laughs> you appreciate what I'm saying? And... and and it, 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 I think this is one of the reasons why Americans, among all people in the world, 
fear age, and old age especially. There's a special mystique about it. You were always taken to see old people when you were a kid and told, now you better be nice to them. Well, the minute we would get into their house, for one thing, it was always, they had something called steam heat. Have you ever been in a house where they had these radiators? And the radiators are always going... And they had these silver things that water would drip out of them. And it was 197 degrees in the house instantly. And I, I have to wear my new sport coat. My mother always says, you have to wear your new sport coat because Aunt Teresa likes to see you all dressed up. And I'm itching. And they would start talking about these totally incomprehensible things in the living room. And she had ferns. And I could still smell the ferns. My mother would stand and look at the ferns with Aunt Teresa. And she would say, uh, come over here, uh, Jeannie. Uh, take a look at Aunt Teresa's ferns. Aren't they nice ferns? And you'd have to look at the ferns. Yeah, they're nice. And then there would be a symbolic moment when Aunt Teresa would always go into the kitchen and say, would you like a cookie? When I was very important, she believed that all kids who came over wanted a cookie. And they didn't eat cookies, Uncle Amel and Aunt Teresa. She kept cookies for the rare kids that came over. Have you ever eaten a petrified Nabisco bar? She had them in, the, in a glass bowl. She would hold it out. And I, they were the same Nabisco, you know, these sugar wafer things. They were the same Nabiscos that she had had the year before. Well, after a while, they get to be like rubber. They taste like nothing. And she would give it to us. And my mother would say, say, say thank you to Aunt Teresa and give her a kiss. Oh, God. Oh, I'm getting a feel itchy. At which point, Uncle Amel always thinking that this is what we wanted to do. You know, he, he had an idea, this is the big thing. See, Uncle Emil would go, he had this record player, and he would put this record on the record player. He had this terrible record of people just laughing, and he thought it was really funny. And he would sit there and he would laugh. What a, you know. And me and my kid brother sit there. We didn't know what the hell was going on. He's playing his record. He had this idea that we really liked it. He <laughs> just played on and on. And this guy just kept laughing. I like it. My kid brother, he'd start whining. And Uncle Lim, he didn't notice he was whining. He said... All right, kid. You want me to play it again, kid? <laughs> now you understand why that record has a specific and very basic meaning to me. Every time I put that on, it goads me into a remembrance of something very important. There was one time in my life when I was a total abject slave when I was a kid. Every one of us was a slave at one time when we were a kid. No control over our lives at all. We had to go and visit people we hated. We had to do things that were really dull and a drag. And I don't think anybody in this world knows any more about boredom than an eight-year-old kid. B-O-R-Ordom. Boredom. Kids, if there's any kids out there listening 
who are in the next couple of weeks going to be forced to visit people, all dressed up, sitting around in an apartment for an hour while it's hot and steaming, and your head is going to sleep and your bottom is going to sleep, kid. Happily, you will quickly forget this. That is, your mind will. But your soul never forgets. I repeat for the benefit of those of you that got potatoes in your ears. The soul never forgets. Write that down. The soul never forgets. Forgets. <laughs> that will appear on the Blue Book exam. Happy Yuletide, kid. Happy Yuletide, kid. We'll be back after this little package of goodies. You know, that's one of the great moments in your life, though, and I think that uh, most of us. You know, when people celebrate anniversaries and all that kind of stuff, like uh, when they were married and when they... when they, uh, I, I know one guy that every year has three major celebrations, and I, I'm invited to them every year. Three celebrations. And you know what they are? They're the anniversary of his three divorces. <laughs> yeah, he celebrates them on June 21st. You want to know the big days? June 21st. August the 2nd and November the 8th are the three big days. And uh, every uh, year we go to his place and drink eggnog and yell and cheer. And he has the, the, he has the, the portraits of his three wives hanging uh, over the little plastic mantelpiece he's got in the poor, sad little apartment that he can afford. He is paying more alimony than the Bulgarian national debt every month. He figures he's uh, entitled to a little celebration. <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know this is neither here nor there. As you go staggering your way through life, there's uh, there's one thing that uh, I think that none of us ever celebrate. We never celebrate the truly important milestones in our time, in our existence. And one of the great milestones that all of us, almost all of us, that is not the kids yet that are listening to us, but almost all of us, is the realization that comes. All of a sudden, that you are grown up. Or haven't you had that realization yet? You think you're still a kid in your mind? <laughs> but grown up in the sense that no longer are you a slave. That, uh, that if your mother or if your father, your parents, if they want to go visit Aunt Teresa and Uncle Emil, hell with them, you, you know, you're going down to the pool room. Great moment of liberation. Fantastic moment. And then there's another moment, too. The moment when you, you suddenly find yourself looking down in the sink in the bathroom instead of looking up at the sink. Do you remember that moment in your life? Do you actually remember it? Looking down at the sink and you feel, wow, am I tall? Hit you all of a sudden. You're looking into the sink. These are true milestones. And uh, if uh, people, uh, you know, if people actually celebrated these milestones, I think that it would be a true pleasure to go leaping into a holiday to celebrate the moment you didn't have to visit 
to celebrate the moment that you didn't have to, you know, you just didn't have to on and on and on ad infinitum. How much time, Andy? I can't figure out anything here. It's right now. Holy smokes. Just like that. How's that for cluing it? Right up to the point. It's so, gang, wherever you are, I hope that uh, our little uh, Christmas gift of the, uh, of the uh, curled invective will bring a few roses and uh, maybe even occasional uh, bit of bloom to the cheek of an otherwise jaded citizen of the 20th century, fighting against elements of which she has over no control whatsoever. Oh, the howling winds of adversity, the screaming sounds of icicles plunging through great drifts of time and existence, and throughout all eternity the core of the earth has spun on and on with its great heavy load of unimaginable heat. Hey, how do you like that? My God, that came right out of Dylan Thomas, didn't it? Bring it up there, please, gay. Can you play a cherry pie? Wait, 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 wait. I think I got it. Let me, let me, let me try it again. All right, let's see. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as Damn it. I don't know what's happening. I mean, the city is going broke. I mean, Mayor Lindsay's learning how to tap dance. Did you hear about that? He's going into a song and dance movie. Oh, yeah. Did you ever heard the latest rumor? Yeah, seriously. He's going to do a musical. Well, Lindsay's been giving folks a song and dance for years, which, uh, you know, is only fitting for the showbiz capital of the world anyway. So come on, gang, light up them lights. For every, for every light on Broadway, there is a... Um, darn it, I can't remember that. Exciting, wasn't it? This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation. 